Hello, and welcome to another episode of Perspectives. I'm Stephen Maurice, your host and editor of Scotiabank Perspectives. If I refer to the bank of mom and dad, or if I say the three words fixed versus variable, or I mentioned blind bidding, you probably already know what I'm talking about. Those phrases all relate to the housing market in one way or another, which everyone knows has been on a tear for, well, pretty much the duration of the pandemic. My two guests were on the podcast six months ago. I thought we should get them back to give us the latest on a topic that is probably informing many thousands of dinner party conversations now that we can have dinner parties again. John Webster is Scotiabank's head of real estate secured lending, and Farah Omran is an economist with the bank's economics team. John, Farah, welcome back, and thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. As I said, it's been about six months since you were here. Farah, can you catch us up on some of the latest numbers around home sales, prices, etc.? I get the feeling things have maybe cooled down a little bit, but I don't know if that's entirely true or if it's just a lull ahead of the next coming storm, but maybe you can fill in those blanks for us. Yes, well, those are the big questions that everybody's trying to answer, but um, the most recent data from the Canadian Real Estate Association does show that sales increased in September, and that is the first increase that we've seen on a monthly basis since March. So it is true that since March, we've seen sales go down and headlines uh, focused on, you know, a cooling housing market. But we have been warning that it is cooling off of a record breaking level and it's significantly uh, strong compared to historical average. And we were expecting demand to come back come um, September because the Canadian housing market typically slows down in the summer and kind of picks up again after the Labor Day weekend. And I think this year, this kind of seasonal trend um, has been exasperated by COVID because I believe more people after months of lockdown were focused on enjoying the summer now that they are double vaccinated and travel is permitted again, rather than wanting to spend that time viewing houses and likely getting into not so fun bidding wars that they are likely to lose. So I do think we've seen a larger uh, exit from the market this summer compared to other years and a larger return in September. And and that um, increase in September is also supported by strong demand fundamentals because we also see improved labor market conditions. Um, In September, the labor market recouped all of the jobs that it lost due to COVID. So we are now at February 2020 level of employment. And we do also see an increase in immigration as the federal government doubled down on its effort to meet its new targets. And as we also welcome back international students for in-class learning. Having said that, the increase in September is modest. It is in line with the expectations that the market is kind of stabilizing, which means it's just we're not seeing such dramatic swings month to month. But if, it, if it, that is true and the market is stabilizing, um, like I just said, it's stabilizing at a level that will keep a lot of wannabe buyers on the sidelines. And what makes things worse is listings have continued to not keep up with sales and they actually dropped in September which naturally increases the sales to new listing ratio, which is currently at 75%, significantly over its long-term average of 54%, and uh, continues to support price gains. So we've seen prices accelerate uh, this month as well. I was going to ask about the prices. So there were slight declines. This was the first increase in September in the number of sales since going all the way back to March. But what were what were prices doing 
during that period as well. Prices uh, continue to increase because we have seen persistent tightness in supply and demand conditions. Um, so, um, as I said, the sales to listing ratio remained high throughout that period. It reached a record high of 91 plus percent. Um, so even though it's not going down now, it is still pretty tight. Months of inventory are two, per, uh, two months, which means at the current rate of sales will run out of inventories in two months. And the long term average was five months. So prices continue to increase. They did accelerate at one point. So the pace of the increases have been slower for a few months. But we have seen that reverse over the last two months. So in August and September, they have accelerated again. Right. And so in places like Toronto and Vancouver, average price for, I don't know if it's a detached or semi-detached or just single family home over over a million dollars, I think. I don't know. I think the numbers probably are somewhat, somewhat lower uh, in other parts of the country. And lots of things, as you mentioned, that are likely to increase demand and therefore probably increase prices, including immigration, students and all that stuff. John, what's the vibe you're getting on sort of the on the business side of things from your customers, from the people that, that you deal with? How are buyers and sellers feeling and builders, I guess? So much is going to fall back on them to try and solve that supply side of the problem. Well, when we last spoke about six months ago, uh, tried to set the appropriate context by saying going into the pandemic, we had a lot of pent up demand in the housing market to begin with. And we were seeing a lot of growth at that point year over year. Since we spoke six months ago, we've had unprecedented double digit year over year growth in the mortgage business. Um, something that I have never experienced in my lifetime. Uh, typically, when we look at the mortgage book, it closely follows, obviously, the housing market. And that's usually a reflection of the overall growth in the economy. Uh, but the peculiarity of the pandemic, what happened was that pent-up demand was unleashed. And then we had all those circumstances where people were working remotely, so they were going further afield to see if they could find a, pro a property that they could afford. When you talk about a million dollars in Toronto, it doesn't get you much in terms of square feet um, as a dwelling and people wanted to be outside. So we saw this impact of acceleration in prices and demand in other markets outside the urban markets and it really spread across the country. But a couple of things are happening. As Farah mentioned, you know, two things drive the market low interest rates, which have been ultra low and, and remain that way since we last talked, particularly the variable, very, very inexpensive for somebody that wants to purchase a home and immigration. And the interesting thing is usually when immigration slows down, that creates household formation. And because of the pandemic, it's slow. But if you read the reports in the Globe yesterday, uh, the minister mentioned that of the 400,000 that they expected, in this calendar year, they've already had 370,000 new Canadians come to the country. So since the opening up, going through the various variants, immigration has started. So in those places like Toronto, where you have a lot of international students, that's put pressure uh, again on the rental stock. So when we talked last time, condos were flat. Well, what we've experienced now, condos have also seen price acceleration as well. So it's been very robust. 
when I say double digit, we're probably sitting at around 13% growth year over year, which is unheard of. And you're right, different months during the pandemic, there was, there's always a shortage because we have a supply problem, but people weren't listing or they were waiting and people were sitting on the sidelines. And it looks like uh, the market will continue to be strong. And so it's a seller's market and it's very, very difficult for consumers. So the things that you touched on in terms of what we need is more transparency in the bidding to prevent the, the psychology of these bidding wards and blind bidding, that's not healthy. I think sunlight's a good disinfectant and we need to see some reforms on that side to make it easier for consumers so they don't feel that they're having to play this gambit in order to purchase a home or to purchase an investment property. But the challenge remains is we're just not, um, as um, Farron and her colleagues did some great work saying how short we are in terms of creating housing units every year. And when the various political parties released their campaigns, they all said, oh, we're gonna add this many, a million new units. But what they were talking about was units that were already delivering. We need to add another 100,000 every year above and beyond that to provide enough supply. So we've got a real estate market now where it's a seller's market, but people are interested, not just in purchasing their first time property as millennials are, but people are buying secondary properties, people are buying recreational properties. It's almost impossible to find a real estate market in Canada now that hasn't ex experienced this big demand and it's driven up prices. Um, if you drive into cottage country, you'll see there's been 30 to 40% price acceleration there. And so that I'm afraid from a consumer's point of view, I think will continue because we've got this strong levels of new Canadians coming. We're not producing enough. It takes too long to do new builds. So this dynamic and with the growth that we're seeing and the inflation in the economy, rates will eventually start to rise, which will dampen. Uh, but the reality is we qualify you today at the Bank of Canada qualifying rate, which people I don't think completely understand. That means we're doing it at five and a quarter and we're lending you money at one and a half, two percent. So there's quite a cushion. So even if rates, as uh, we've predicted, that there could be uh, four increases over the next uh, couple of years, people are still well within that debt serviceability when we underwrite them. And at the same time, what's important to remember is in a typical payment right now, 60% of that's going to retire principles. So you're creating equity at the same time. So it's it's having that wealth effect. The challenge for people that sell to take advantage of the seller's market is they got to buy somewhere else, right? So you're buying, if you sell in an up market, you got to buy in an up market. So a lot of customers call me and they're not sure what to do. Uh, they like what they're seeing in terms of the appreciation if they're a homeowner, but then when they go out and see what's available, they're concerned at that price point. And they're also a lot of people had deal fatigue from these crazy bidding wards going in without conditions, let alone financing conditions, not asking for a home inspection, things that you should not do uh, when you buy for what is for most people the biggest asset purchase uh, they'll ever make in their life. So I think this dynamic, Stephen, is going to continue for the next uh, 12, 18, 24 months. 
Yeah, there, there are so many different factors at play. You mentioned a whole bunch of them there. Prada, I'll ask you a little bit about the interest rate question because John did mention that. And the bank has recently laid out its projections for what it thinks is going to happen uh, on the interest rate front. Could you could you explain that to us a little bit where the, where the situation is and I think has been for, I don't know, a couple of years or more that, that the that the interest rate has pretty much been where it is at a historically low level. So what do you see? What do you see happening over the next? What does the bank see happening over the next year or so? Well, so absolutely, like you said, rates have been low for many years, even before the COVID pandemic. Now we are seeing um, price pressures that are proving more persistent than we previously thought due to supply bottlenecks and, and labor shortages that I'm sure we'll get into later. So that is triggering um, our forecast that, that we think the bank is going to increase rates by 100 basis points um, over um, multiple times throughout ne- the next year. But I think what people don't account for is that the rate has been pushed by the COVID pandemic to a lower uh, effective bound, which is the lowest it can go. So even with those increases, the rates will remain accommodative for borrowing. Now, what will happen is that the rates on um, variable rate mortgages will go up hand in hand with with these increases. Um, And we are seeing uh, more people take uh, up variable rate mortgages um, this year because the they are becoming um, more um, relatively cheaper compared to fixed rates that are going up with the expectation of the bank raising its rate, rates next year. So those mortgages will be affected next year and other mortgages upon renewal will be also affected. Uh, but I, I do think the rates remain accommodative. Right. Uh, I, maybe I didn't fully understand, John, what you were saying along those same lines before around how the, the benchmark against which you make a loan, even if the actual interest rate is lower than that. But on a variable rate mortgage, would uh, like would the approval on that kind of mortgage be have to anticipate that those kinds of interest rate increases so that like someone taking out a variable rate mortgage isn't going to be suddenly in deep trouble just from one or two, uh, you know, quarter point rate increases. Regardless of whether it's variable or fixed term, we have to underwrite at the higher of the Bank of Canada qualifying rate, which was raised recently from 479 to five and a quarter, and the contract rate. So the contract rates have been, let's say, for example, on average two or sub 2%. So in our product, our available product, and I'm not sure people are aware of this, you can elect at any time to move into a fixed term. So if you're sitting with a variable currently and you're worried about these four increases, you could opt right now to fix into any fixed term, including a five-year, which was uh, the biggest choice for most consumers typically because they want to know the certainty of that payment over that five-year term. But if you're in a variable currently, you can stay in the variable, and if you've done that over the past 18 months, you would be further off because the delta, um, as we mentioned, between the variable has been as wide as a full uh, point. And so people are obviously uh, opting for variable because of the lower rate. When the rate increases, variable will go up, and I think you'll see two things happen. More people will uh, begin to select the five-year term again, and also people will start to convert. So typically borrowers will look at that and they say, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to ride that uh, expectation curve. I'll lock in. So you, th- these things uh, have happened in rising interest rates 
Um, historically, that's typically the pattern. But it's really, um, I mean, as much as house price escalation has been a factor and it's a, it, affordability is unquestionably uh, top of the mind for most Canadians now, something that I've never seen. It was one of the top three things. Usually the environment and electoral campaign is right up there. But uh, affordability of homes was top three during the campaign. So I think that will carry over. But people are in good shape. Like we have a, um, a Scotia line. You can take a step mortgage with us. And I mentioned this to you before, which will allow you, you can have a certain portion of your mortgage fixed. You can have a certain portion variable. The step also allows you as you build equity, we qualify you and you get approved with a limit. And so you're able um, to use that equity when you need it. So if you want to do backyard renovations, all those things. So those are very, in, the, in this climate, that's very appealing to Canadians, the ones that are, are, have taken the plunge or the ones who own homes currently. Um, but the affordability factor, in my view, won't be solved unless all three levels of government get together and come up with a housing plan, a plan of action, to make sure we're building more units. That's really what needs to happen. Sure, rising interest rates, fewer people may be eligible as they go up. But as I said to you, we're qualifying them now at five and a quarter. We're a long way away from five and a quarter. Right. So, Farah, as the, the, the economist, how maybe you can explain how those the different factors play together where obviously interest rates and the increases or potential increases in rates that could happen next year i guess is related to the threats of inflation that are taking place now which then also increase the cost i guess of building houses and increase the cost of the house of the houses themselves like all of the factors play together how do how from an economic standpoint what's the best way of solving that uh, that supply problem um, well, I don't, <laughs> um, so that's, that's a big question. Let's kind of just, um, divide it up into its uh, pieces. So there is rising. So inflation is rising due to the pressure that is being imposed by labor shortage and input, um, input shortages. So we have, um, supply bottlenecks that are either, um, due to ship shortages or material shortages, or also just transportation uh, bottlenecks and container shortages that is being met on the other side by very strong demand. Um, and so these shortages are pushing up the price of inputs that go into building a home and the price of labor um, that is higher to, to, to build that home. And we are also seeing um, strong uh, shortages, particularly in the construction um, sector. So um, the vacancy rate in the construction sector um, in the second quarter of this year was at its highest level since 2015, which is when we started um, collecting that data. And when a survey asked businesses what are the main obstacles they anticipate uh, facing over the next few months, there were more businesses in the construction industry 
um, than the total of all industries that identified labor shortages, uh, recruiting skilled workers and retaining skilled workers and the rising cost of input as um, they more businesses in the construction industry identified those as uh, very important obstacles. And um, that is um, showing in the starts data. We are seeing starts slowing down um, in September compared to the month before. Um, and they are still much higher than the pre-COVID um, averages and paces that we've seen in starts, but we are seeing them going down from their peaks earlier this year. And that is happening during a time that residential investment and, and demand for investment construction is really high. So that in itself then um, slows down the pace of um, starts that we need to kind of cover the gap, uh, as John has already um, alluded to earlier, but also then pushes prices up and leads to the Bank of Canada increasing rates faster than expected. All right. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for explaining that. Um, it, it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of uh, silver linings here. Uh, like there are a lot of factors working against affordability and increases in supply. John, you, did, you had mentioned uh, the blind bidding issue, which a lot of uh, home buyers see as a problem uh, and which the Liberals during the campaign promised to, uh, to get rid of. Um, as far as you know, I don't know if one or either of you hear from people on the political side. Is that likely to happen? Will they get rid of blind bidding? And what would the impact of that be? John, maybe you could start by explaining exactly what uh, what is meant by that. What is meant by blind bidding versus what the situation is now? Well, what happens, Stephen, is if you're, you've found a property that you want to purchase that's for sale and the realtors... Uh, have done a couple of things that have made that a very uncomfortable dynamic for purchasers. Some of them will, for example, put out a listing price that they know is well below what the uh, actual sale price will be just to create that sort of competitive dynamic. And then you go in with your offer and they tell you, no, you've got to go above asking. You don't know what the other bid is. It's blind. So you're, you're being told bid more than you wanted to pay to begin with, and you have no idea uh, what the other bids are. And of course, realtors like that dynamic, consumers hate it. And um, that's why there has to be a more transparent process. So right now, with affordability being such an issue in almost all of our major markets, you're going in, you see a listing price, and you're being told, you don't have any time, you can't even put your financing together, make a bid, make it firm, and go in above the asking price, not knowing what other bidders are doing. So it's, it's very frustrating uh, for people who are in that circumstance. They don't, and a lot of people that you talk to have been on multiple properties and faced that, um, that, that outcome. And so they get deal fatigue and they get very frustrated. And so there has been the statement of intention uh, by the current government uh, during the campaign that they're going to move on it. But I haven't seen um, any of the actual uh, substance or what that may look like. And it's challenging, right, because it involves multiple levels of government. The real estate boards are not a federal responsibility. They're a provincial responsibility. So as with the housing market, supply and input costs are up. 
you know, people face that uh, during the pandemic. We saw what happened with the run-up in lumber, and then it came back down. But if you talked to anyone who had to go out and do renovations and saw the price of lumber, it, it, it was kind of frightening, right? And so what you're seeing now is as these new households are going to continue to be created with 400,000 plus new Canadians coming every year, that demand is going to increase. And we need the skilled trades as well, as was mentioned, right? We don't have enough of the skilled trades to do the construction. So in the auto market, there's no chips, so you can't buy cars. You've seen what happened. New, new cars are $10,000 on average above, above the manufacturer's recommended sales price, right? Used cars are at a premium. Now, if you have a used car, even right now you want to sell it, you'll get a really good dollar for it, except when you go to buy the new one, you're going to give it back. And that's what's happening in the, um, in the dynamic in the housing market too, shortage of inputs, materials, and because of the supply chain disruption, but also labor costs are going up. All right, more good news. Um, so, so Farah, then what, what, is, what is the silver lining? I guess maybe one of them is that we are expecting to have pretty solid economic growth next year. So I don't know, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I'm looking for some good news. Well, we absolutely are looking at a strong economic growth. So a lot of, you know, we're, we're focusing on the supply shortages, but a lot of the movement in sales is very much backed by fundamentals. We have a strong recovery underway that despite the supply bottlenecks is still roaring ahead. It is true that we might have, uh, we have uh, reduced our growth estimates compared to previous forecasts, but they are still strong and point toward a recovery. We have a labor market that in September brought back all of the employment that it lost uh, due to COVID. And although that measure, you know, doesn't take into account population change and, 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 and the fact that unemployment rate is slightly higher than it was before the pandemic, we are at um, the the 100% of the February 2020 level of jobs. Um, you know, strong immigration, that's also positive news. It's, it's good for the population. It's good for economic growth. So really everything is um, backed by strong fundamentals and that is good. It is just that we need more focus put towards increasing supply so we can meet this increased demand. But um, I do think that any increases in the Bank of Canada rate will be well communicated, will be gradual. Um, and as John said, people do uh, get <clears throat> qualified at a higher rate to account for these increases. So, yes, there, is, there are positive news <laughs> in, in that sense. <laughs> it's not as bleak as we're maybe making it sound in that these are historical lowest cost of borrowing ever. So while there is price appreciation in the housing market, the reality is borrowing costs have never been lower You've never been in a better circumstance to um, create equity and create wealth every month with your payment. When I talk to um, millennials that are facing paying rent in the urban uh, market or looking at should I, if I can use your term, go to the bank of mom and dad or be a first time uh, buyer through the Canadian programs, I say to them, the first thing you should do is before you even go out and start looking at a place that you might like to buy, Get in touch with one of our home financing advisors, a specialist that takes you through how much of your discretionary income do you need to live and how much can you afford to put towards housing on a sustainable basis. 
or you can go on our e-home site and pre-qualify yourself, I tell them, and see what you would qualify for, what the loan amount is, what the payments are. Get yourself properly prepared for entering into that market because right now it's so dynamic, it happens very, very quickly. So, you know, be, do your homework, be firm, don't, you know, it's such an emotional purchase for so many people. And typically, you know, it might be a couple, and, you know, they fall in love with properties and I tell them, don't fall in love with it. There's another train leaving the station. There's another house of your dreams around the corner. But make sure you understand what kind of a budget you need for expenses. If the roof needs to repair or the furnaces, you need to go through that. If you're a first time buyer, that's critical so that you don't have any of these unpleasant surprises. And typically I'll tell them, you know, variables is a better deal right now, but if I would aim for certainty and say, take the five-year term if you're a first-time buyer. Now, if it's like yourself and you're a person of affluence and you own your home already and you're looking um, for uh, money, you, you take a variable mortgage, get a step, and you could use that to invest in another property, use it to invest in the market, use it to do those backyard renovations, those are all good news because you're at a historical low for you to be able to achieve that. Or just continue to make your payments and and, and build that equity. It has a, a definite wealth effect. Um, so I think those things are encouraging. The reality is in the Toronto market, step back from the issue about how many new Canadians are coming to Toronto and creating this demand. Toronto is, in my view, going to continue to be like Manhattan. Like affordability is not the affordability that we thought about, you know, 20 years ago. That's that's going away. And remember when we talked last time, people were saying, oh, you know, there's real nervousness. There's going to be a correction in the condo market. Well, there's no correction in the condo market. Condo prices are going up. People are returning from working remotely. It's slow but you're seeing people want to be out in an urban setting. People are social animals, they want to go out. So there'll be this hybrid work format remotely, but people are finding it's not always that easy to live that far away from where your employment is, right? So I think that sort of come down a bit. That was a phenomenon that we saw during the pandemic. And I don't think you'll see that um, continuing. But demand for housing in Toronto, as the population continues to grow, we're creating more jobs, we're creating wealth, um, it will be an expensive market. Okay, well, just when I thought we were going to be able to end on something super positive, John, you talk about the uh, endless expensive market of Toronto, but that's okay. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good way to finish with some good advice there for potential homebuyers and uh, uh, some positive outlook on the general economic front from FEDA. Um, so we will end it there. Uh, I want to thank you both once again for coming. Um, super interesting. Uh, you're great to have on and I will definitely have you back. Uh, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's always fun. I've been speaking with John Webster, Scotiabank's Head of Real Estate Secured Lending and Economist Farah Omran. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time.